Are you ready to free the body and free the soul? Join Dr. David, the cutting edge doc, as he guides us on today's journey. Here's Dr. David. Welcome, friends. Welcome to another edition of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. I'm your host, Dr. David, the cutting edge doc. And here on Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, we do in-depth interviews with individuals that are doing cutting-edge work in the areas of healing, spirituality, and social transformation. And as many of you know, uh, most of these shows are me interviewing other people that that I admire and respect and are doing phenomenal work, and I'm wanting to take a deeper dive and share these people with you. And uh, a smaller percentage of the shows are other people interviewing me um, because they're things I want to talk about and they're things I want to share. And uh, as I mentioned in the last interview, it had been a long time since I had uh, felt moved to ask someone to interview me. There obviously a lot of things have to kind of click for that. And uh, I had the strong hit several weeks ago that I wanted my friend Arn to interview me and so we've been doing that he wanted to do it i wanted to do it and we both were kind of lit up about it and we had um the first segment of that interview and it was obvious when it was over that it wasn't over that it was kind of like an intermission so we don't know how long this is how long these segments are going to continue but we definitely knew we wanted to at least do part two and so um Arn is back, and I'm going to turn it back over to Arn now, and we shall continue. So, Arn, welcome to Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, and until we close it out at the end, the show is all yours. I'm in your hands again. Thank you very much, David. All right, so, uh, uh, folks, you, you're probably segueing from the, the previous session to this one a lot more quickly than David and I are, but where we left it last time, it was in a very, very interesting place, a place that um, could really do with a little uh, standing back and introspecting and thinking about what it means. You you made a, a very interesting statement about the intelligent space that arises when we let go of a belief. Now, this is something I have experienced myself, um, encountering a very limiting belief in my life, realizing that I'm uh, constraining myself, causing myself pain and blockage, uh, doing the work of finding that belief, releasing that belief, but then not immediately having something to replace it by. And, and I had exactly this experience that there, is, that there is wisdom, there is guidance, there's clarity that arises from this intelligent space. So it's, it's just really an, an intriguing idea that I think has much to teach us. And um, I, I'd like to hear for you, from you more about that. What does that mean for you and how do you arrive in that intelligent space? Well, the way you arrive is exactly the way that you described. That's how you arrive there. You, you uh, kind of have what could be called like a breaking open. You have a realization that you were being in a certain way that was limiting. You know, you could, like most people are, most, most of the time we're not aware of what it is that we're being. We're not trained to be aware of that. We're 
trained to focus on circumstances or if we're psychologically sophisticated, maybe we're trained to focus on what we're thinking or a particular attitude or what we're feeling or a mood that we're having or something like that. But very few of us are trained to be aware of or have any mastery in relation to uh, what we're being or what we're being contextually that's giving rise to all of this. So for example, um, most people don't think about the fact that they're being that they are finite. Most people don't think about the fact that they're being that they are separate, even though all of their thoughts, all of their feelings, all of their goals, all of their explanations, all of their sense of themselves, um, their point of attraction for manifestation is all correlated with the way they're being. They're being that they're finite and they're being that they're separate. And so the way life is occurring for them, including the way they're occurring for themselves, is all correlated with this way of being, in this case, being that they're finite or being that they're separate. And there's no thought or mental strategy or physical behavior that can break open that limited context, that limited box. The only way out of it is to see that you are in it, to see that that is what you are being and that possibly that that's just one way of being and to become curious about the fact that there might be other ways of being. And so this level of deep ontological inquiry is something that we're just not trained in. And it's just, it's one of my areas of expertise and it's so powerful. And, and when you deeply inquire into what you're being and you become disidentified from that being the only way of being, then there are a couple of things that happen. One is that you have this freedom, this sense of freedom of being released from that limited way of being that you didn't know you were being. But then on another level, there's this meta-learning that occurs where after you've done that 20 or 30 times, you realize that who you really are is the space for spaces. You really are the space for ways of being. And this takes you to a much more profound level of insight and of self-realization. And as you open up to this multidimensionality of your beingness, you realize that your thinking mind is a very small uh, yet important uh, level of of this manifestation of being. And so with that understanding, then when you have these breaking opens and you open up into this awareness of this spaciousness, the compulsion to go right back to identifying as your thinking mind and to force yourself to think of a new belief starts to be starts to feel a little constraining. And most of us, when we first discover 
this spaciousness, it's so blissful, it's so overwhelming that um, it's almost difficult to be with. But as you increase your capacity to be, you know, like this lightness of being, so to speak, this infinite spaciousness of being, after a while, if you're just willing to leave it alone, and not try to manipulate it, something really miraculous starts to happen. You start to become aware that this spaciousness isn't just this loving presence. It's not just this vast emptiness. It's not just this presence. But there's also this infinitely intelligent dynamism that's an aspect of being. And um, it's that same intelligent dynamism that keeps our heart beating when we're sleeping and has millions and millions of cells in our body being formed and breaking down every second. It's that same infinite intelligence that has the earth at just the right distance from the sun to support biological human life. It's that same dynamism that turns winter into spring. And we're estranged from that level of being, of our being. It seems like it's out there. It seems like we're here and there's this God out there. And that can lead into a whole conversation about Western civilization. But for this conversation, um, if you're willing to hang out as that infinite spaciousness and simply be present, sooner or later there will be this, you'll have this awareness of motion, like a surfer would start to have within the vastness of the ocean. Uh, if, this, if the surfer is tuned in, at a certain level of possibility, they'll catch a wave. And as an individual, they didn't create the wave, but as an individual, they can choose to be in the position to surf the wave and they can get better at surfing the wave. And eventually you can open up to your multidimensionality and realize that at another level you are the ocean. But for practical purposes, as long as we have a sense of ourselves as individuals, uh, it really doesn't do us much good to try to be responsible for the whole ocean. It, for, for our purposes, uh, just learning to appreciate the ocean and how to connect with it and how to, how to find that wave that has our name on it and, how to, um, and how, to, how to enjoy that and move with that is really, in my experience, what what life can be really all about. But with that being said, from the ego-based level of consciousness, the last thing that the ego-based consciousness would want would be for you to become comfortable as this infinite spaciousness that knows that it is not ultimately finite because the ego-based consciousness 
can never have any true understanding of infinity. And so uh, the ego-based thought system will freak out and will attempt to suck you back into identifying with anything that's finite, including the thinking mind. And so to the ego, this infinite spaciousness is perceived as death and it's perceived as the ultimate threat. And so understanding that and learning how to be with that in a way that you can develop a relationship with ego-based thought forms in such a way that it doesn't stop this, um, this flow, to me, is one of the main keys to both self-realization and also mastering the manifestation game. And so um, I'll turn it back over to you, but I think that plants enough seeds and reference points that um, you can be empowered to take it from here again. Boy, does it. Yeah, that's, wow, that's a lot of stuff that we could pick up on. Um, these, these kinds of conversations are really difficult because the English language isn't really equipped. We can only point to these deep truths, but you, you, you've done a beautiful job of, of really pointing. I'm, I'm interested in a small sidebar about, about belief. Um, I want to talk about what belief is, and, and then I want to talk about who we are, really. Um, so let's begin with belief, because beliefs are tricky. By their own inherent nature, we believe the things we believe are true, capital letter T. It's like, I believe the sun will rise tomorrow. But this is not something that you can enter into a debate over. I absolutely believe it's true um, and in the same way there are all kinds of things that I believe about myself I believe I'm a human being I believe I'm a certain kind of a person and I, and I, I get attached to these beliefs I, I think they're capital letter T I think they are true but of course they're not beliefs are all just ideas that we're attaching ourselves to and from my perspective and I want to see if you agree they are all limitations they cannot be bigger than what is true, which is, which is this eternal immortal being, this part of God that I really am. So, so beliefs, first of all, I think they're all limitations and that they are necessary for us to experience ourselves as these limited, small human beings. What are your thoughts on that? Well, first of all, I think it's important to realize that we can use the word belief in two different ways. Like it's used very often in common conversation. Like I believe so-and-so would be a good president. And that's not the kind of belief that we're talking about. Right. We're talking about the kind of belief that um, occurs to somebody as a truth. So, or they operate from, that as if it were true, even if they're not conscious that they're believing it. So, for example, the example that I gave before is much more uh, powerful. Like, for example, when I use the phrase, what we're being, 
that's what I mean. Like when we talk about a belief that is so true for a person that they don't know that they're believing it because they just assume that it's a truth. That's what I meant when I talked about what we're being that we don't know that we're being. Like, for example, if you're being that you are this body, or if you're being that you are stuck in linear time, or if you're being that you are fundamentally separate, um, then we could call that a belief in the way you're defining it. In other words, it's something that somebody is taking to be true and they're living as if it were true, even though they may not be conscious of the fact that that is what they're doing. So if that's what you mean by belief, that's what I mean when I talk about um, what we're being. And so I make a distinction between, because of the way belief is used in language so often, where we say, oh, I believe this person would be a good president. That's not what I mean when I'm talking about what we're being. In other words, gotcha. in other words we're blind most of the time to what we're being. In other words, the, the real beliefs that we have in terms of how you're defining it something we take to be true that we don't know we're just assuming it's true, but we're really being that it's true. Those kinds of beliefs or what I call what we're being, we are mostly blind to. And it's when we recognize that it may not be a fundamental property of the universe. It may just be something that we've accepted, usually unwittingly to be true, that now is constraining and shaping our entire life. And we open up to the possibility that it doesn't have to be that way and that we're the ones that have been unwittingly constraining our lives and that there's some other possibilities. That's really the heart of transformation. Now, the question about whether all beliefs are limitations, I would say ultimately the answer to that is yes to the extent that we're identified as those beliefs. However, it can be very useful from the point of view of a human individual to use beliefs as uh, like the rungs of a ladder to raise your altitude, so to speak. In other words, within the realm of um, beliefs or ideas that we uh, take to be true or assume to be true. It can be very useful from the human point of view, from the ego-based point of view. It can be very valuable to play with ideas and act as if a new idea was true even though you know ultimately it's not true, it could still be useful like a training wheel on a bicycle. And it can be useful for two reasons. One is there are certain beliefs that simply have a greater degree of resonance with truth with a capital T than others. And then also there's this meta-learning whereby playing with beliefs eventually it dawns on you at some level 
that if you're the one playing with beliefs, you must be beyond belief. I like that very much, yes. So that's what I have to say about that. So um, we, we hold on to these beliefs and, and we clothe ourselves with these beliefs, which allows us to be these lost little mortal human beings um, down here on planet Earth. And, and many of those beliefs are functional. They, they allow us to have the experiences we want to have, um, you know, being human beings, perhaps being parents, perhaps, you know, all the, the, the roles and functions we play. But at some point, some of these beliefs become a little <coughs> dysfunctional. Um, so, for example, um, uh, we feel called. Uh, let's let's make up a fictitious person. Let's call him Matt. Matt feels a calling. He he has something that he he in his heart he really feels he wants to do. Um, but in attempting to achieve this 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 goal, this purpose that he believes he has, um, he finds he he finds himself running into limitations. Um, perhaps he doesn't feel or believe. Perhaps he doesn't have an experience that he can make a living out of following his passion. There is such a convoluted knot of beliefs that we have there. How does Matt find his way to the belief that is constraining him without simply throwing all of, all of his beliefs to the wind? Well, you know, there are many ways throughout history that people have learned to discover and question and shift limiting beliefs, but we probably should take a step back and, and ask the question, how does a person know that it might be useful to be, even begin to question their beliefs in a certain area of life? That's a really important question. And the best answer I can give you is that there are two answers. One is that you're not producing the results that you're wanting in that area of your life. And answer number two is by tracking your vibration, the way that you feel at a vibrat fundamental vibratory level. Are you lit up? Are you excited? Are you turned on or not? And these are your feedback systems that God or your higher self is giving you right now to show you if what you're being or what you call believing is in alignment with this greater perspective of your higher self or of the Holy Spirit. And one of the most important things that can get you out of judgment, which is a bunch of limiting beliefs, is this understanding that the results you're producing in life and how you feel are not a valid way to assess truth with a capital T, there's simply this exquisite feedback system that is coming from your multidimensional self to your human self to let you know when you are being or believing something that is dissonant with your true desires at a multidimensional level. So this is a very important context or preamble for powerfully getting at your question. Uh, is there anything you want to say before I proceed? No, good so far. Okay. So 
there's this thing called inquiry, which has to do with asking powerful questions. And it's one of the greatest gifts that as human beings we have. In fact, it could be argued that it is the fundamental distinction of being human relative to, say, being an animal. Like, my dog Lana is here in the room, but I don't think she can ask questions like, gee, I wonder what Dr. David would look like if he took off his white shirt and he put on a blue shirt. I don't think Lana has the capacity to ask those kinds of questions and then be with those questions and find satisfying answers. But human beings do have that capacity. We do have the capacity to ask powerful questions and to learn how to be with questions in a way that allows what we don't know to emerge. And it's even more profound than that. We can even learn to ask questions and we can even learn certain ways of being with questions where we even allow what we don't know we don't know to begin to surface. And that is an art and a science. Some people call that transformation. Some people call that radical inquiry. But it is a skill that can be developed. So let me give you the list. Let me give the listeners uh, more of a down and dirty example of what you're talking about. So let's say that there's this person that has this incredible love of singing and, 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 and they just feel lit up, turned on, excited, connected to all that is when they sing. And then they have this, but they have this ambivalent feeling about um, singing more and um, singing for other people and having singing be more of a part of their life. And so they start inquiring into that area in their life and they start uncovering that they have all these limiting beliefs. Like they have this belief that it's hard to make money singing or they have this idea that the only way they could make money singing would be uh, to sign a contract where they wouldn't be able to sing what they want to sing and, um, and that they would have to get involved with the quote-unquote music business and all of the BS that goes along with it. And so they start uncovering this and they start realizing that that's correlated with their ambivalent feelings about music and it's also keeping them from practicing. It's also keeping them from enjoying practicing. It's keeping them from being able to imagine an outstanding reality where they're singing and they're receiving a lot of dollars for it, but at the same time, it's, uh, it's joyous for them. <clears throat> and so they start to realize, and, and then at that point, it's very important that they have the courage and the willingness to begin to question whether those beliefs are fundamental properties of the universe <clears throat> or whether they are simply uh, constructed viewpoints. And is it more important for them to be right about the fact that those constructed viewpoints are true? Or is their love for singing and their love for uh, being able to sing and experience the joys of abundance, do they have a greater, is that more important to them 
than their attachment to being right and justified about the fact, quote unquote fact, that all of these beliefs are true. And so these are, I'm just spinning a yarn here to show you um, the kind of stuff that comes up for people when they get into this transformational game and kind of how to get into the game and some of the key skills that are required. Um, you know, we have this incredible capacity for imagination as human beings. And unfortunately, 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 at least the way our school system was and the way our society was when I was a child, we were talked out of that. We were, our imagination was diminished as something that is not good, something that's bad, that we, it takes us away from the good life. And this is really tragic because um, our imagination is an incredible gift and it's designed to coexist with other aspects of our consciousness, the part of us that can critique things, the part of us that can do things. But for most people, this dreamer, this imaginer uh, has been snuffed out by, um, by the critic and by the way we've interpreted our life experience. And yet our imagination is vital because to, if we're ever going to know our true freedom, as infinite creator beings. Our imagination is the bridge to parallel simultaneous realities. And it's so important if you really ever want to know who you are at a deep level to realize that our experience of linear time is a limitation of the way our senses process information and our attachment to that kind of sensory data. And the fact that reality is very much more like um, if you have cable television and you have a fancy uh, system where you have hundreds and hundreds of channels and you have a remote control and there's all these channels that are going on simultaneously and there's all these programs that are going on simultaneously. And if you are on one channel and you don't know that you can change the channel and you're watching a program and not only do you not know you can change the channel, but you're also identified with a character in one of the programs on that one particular channel, that is the way most people live. And if you want to open up to the possibilities of all the different programming or frequencies that are on the other channels to find a program you like better, or if you want to become a director and, or, and a producer and create a new program, if you want that freedom, you have to open up to the possibility that even though the way life is occurring to you now is that there's only one channel and that you are this one particular character on this one particular channel, 
unless you open up to the possibility that those are just limited ideas and that, gee, what if I could uh, make peace with the channel that I'm on to the point where I'm free to get on the channel elevator and start exploring the vibrational frequencies that are on other channels, unless you can use your imagination to open up to that possibility and use your imagination to tune into frequencies or channels that feel better to you, you're going to be stuck being or believing that there's only one channel and that you are a particular character in a program on one of those channels and that you're just the actor and that somebody else has written the script for you and that that script is etched in stone. And so the capacity to imagine again and to feel again and to give yourself permission to simply enjoy that process without constantly checking to see if the physical manifestation has yet completely matched the new vibration. The, the capacity to imagine and to understand how reality really works and to have the faith and the consciousness to learn to be more masterful with our vibrational point of attraction is vital to reclaiming our power as infinite beings that are having human experiences and without giving yourself permission and rehabilitating this capacity to imagine it's virtually impossible to um to break free and break open in the way that we're talking about so rehabilitating this capacity for imagination and at the same time uh, being responsible for uh, other functions of being, such as critiquing things and um, developing skills and abilities and things like that are so important. But at least here in the United States, the um, capacities to imagine powerfully and to feel deeply are pretty much knocked out of you um, by the time you probably get to be about seven years old. Very sad stuff. To, I, th I think that's probably universal. I think that's or universal to this planet. Um, so what's, what's interesting to me, uh, David, is to hear how you have in, 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 in practical human terms, how you have applied these kinds of uh, awarenesses to your own life, the transformations that you have uh, brought to your own life, what's, what's really turning you on at the moment, what are you uh, passionate about, excited about, where you're going uh, as someone who, who is applying these awarenesses to their own life? Well, we kind of touched on that a little bit last time in the sense that I kind of felt that um, in terms of my mission for this incarnation and why I'm here, I kind of feel like it's showtime now. I kind of feel like everything that I have uh, been intending and desiring and 
being trained for for eons are coming to a powerful focal point right here and right now in this particular time-space coordinate of, uh, of December 2016. And what I'm sensing is that, um, well, let me back up, is that historically there's been a tremendous schism between um, what people believe they have to be and do to succeed in the world on one hand and the, um, the genuine search to know truth on the other hand. So we could call that schism the schism between the man of the world and the mystic. And usually the man of the world doesn't really understand the mystic or doesn't think that there is relevance to their concerns uh, if they became more uh, masterful in relation to the realm of the mystic. And historically, the mystic has withdrawn from society in order to develop their capacities as a mystic. And I see that apparent duality collapsing right now to the point where that distinction is going to ultimately become meaningless. And I don't know how much you know about astrology, Arne. Are you, are you pretty well versed in the language of astrology? I, I wouldn't say very well versed. Perhaps, perhaps uh, treat me as a novice. Okay. So in astrology, the, the, the alphabet of astrology the way we make sentences in astrology is there are planets, including the sun and the moon, which has to do with different functions of being. There's signs, which have to do with different energetic qualities of being. And then there are houses, which have to do with different areas of life. So, and then there are aspects, which is how the different planets are geometrically oriented to each other, which give you a sense of how different functions when they relate to each other, if there's a natural flow or if there's a dynamic tension that needs release, etc. Anyway, <clears throat> so um, there's something called a birth chart, which is where the stars, where the planets are in relation to your houses and your signs at the moment of your birth, which is kind of like a uh, keynote for that incarnation. So one of the planets, quote unquote, is called the sun. And the sun has to do with your fundamental purpose, who you are at your essence in that lifetime. And uh, my sun is in Taurus, the sign of Taurus, in the ninth house. The ninth house is the house of the mystic, of the higher mind. But the sign of Taurus is the sign of substance, of substantiation, of sensation of physicalness. And so my mission, my purpose in this life is to collapse that duality between the mystic and the man of the world, to take the mystical perspective and to bring it down to earth, to bring it into our psychology, 
to bring it into our bodies, to bring it into our relationships, our groups, our organizations, our community, to substantiate it all the way down to the grid system of planet Earth. So that's what I'm all about. And the reason I'm so excited is that I feel the timing is perfect for that. It's becoming more and more obvious that old ways of being that are correlated with old belief systems are one, not producing satisfying results in the world, and number two, is producing a tremendous amount of depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, manic behavior, et cetera, et cetera. So it's becoming undeniable that things are not working, which very often is important for catalyzing a shift. And then also I believe that there are energies on the planet right now that can allow us to um, stay in a very high mystical awareness and still be in a physical body. So my life is about learning and then sharing what I've learned about what it takes to be the kind of person that is, has collapsed that duality between the mystic and the man of the world. And um, obviously, we're facing tremendous challenges as the old structures and systems are breaking down. And it is showing up everywhere. It's showing up in our bodies. It's showing up in our psyche. It's showing up in the quality of our relationships. It's showing up in uh, how we do commerce. It's showing up in how we do relationships how we do sexuality, how we, how we relate to, how we, how we come to a synergistic relationship between the individual and the collective. Um, it, it, it has to do with reevaluating our place in the solar system and in the galaxy and our relationship to other kingdoms and to planet Earth and uh, what I'm so excited about is that I think we're ripe for the picking there. And in terms of my personal areas of expertise, um, they seem to be in the areas of teaching and healing and leadership and creativity and writing and public speaking. So um, let me turn it back over to you and then and see if you have any thoughts about what I said and then where you'd like to take this more specifically. Yeah, thank you. So, so um, this word uh, uh, mystic, mysticism for me means the process of connecting with the divine without any intermediary. In other words, um, uh, God, the eternal, uh, that which we see to be the source of all things can be accessed and engaged with without necessarily uh, scriptures or teachers or, or processes. That's what I understand this as. I, I, I want to check with you that we're on the same page about that. Is, is, is that what you consider mysticism to be? Well, to me, the mystic is one who knows unity. One who knows beyond intellectually they know the unity of existence. 
Okay, good. Well, then, then we are we are certainly in a, in agreement about that. So, how does mysticism, or how does the, uh, engaging with mystical practices and teachings, how does that assist us to overcome the kinds of traumas uh, that our, our our culture and our society is suffering? Well, I don't know if my if I'm recommending that people engage in any particular practice that's been caused, that, that's, been, that's been named a mystical practice. I'm, I'm not making distinctions about any practice being mystical or not. I, I'm defining myst, a mystic as one who knows unity. I'm not defining any practice as a mystical practice. So maybe you could ask your question in a different way. Please, yes. So I, I guess what I'm after is, is how does the process of becoming a mystic assist us in, in, in um, overcoming societal ills, in overcoming our own um, psychological and spiritual pains? Let me rephrase it. What I'm hearing, you, what I think you're asking me, and you can tell me if I've got it. Please. You're asking, how does the realization of unity empower us as human beings? Beautifully put, yes. Okay. Yes. So, so my stand is that um, the realization of unity is the basis for all authentic human self-expression. I'm going to say that again. My stand, my conviction, is that the realization of unity is fundamental to any authentic self-expression as a human being. Because the only other alternative, the default setting, if you're not if you don't know unity, the default setting for human beings is to assume separateness and to assume duality. And once you assume that as your fundamental ground of being, even if you are assuming it unconsciously, you end up with a way of being and a type of thinking that's correlated with all the problems we currently have. It's a deep thought, and, and um, one I would very strongly agree with. It's, it's, um, it's as if the entire world, all of our training, everything in the world invites us uh, into all kinds of choices, but all of those choices are really the same choice. It's all to see things as separate. And there is only that still small voice, if you're willing to tune into it, that invites you inwards into communion and connection with oneness. This that's is my why, yeah, that's why uh, from the egoic perspective, that's why it's truly hopeless. Because any attempt to get out of it is it. 
one of those absolutely marvelous paradoxes that arise whenever we uh, uh, investigate deeply. But quite right. Everything that we think we are doing um, is by its nature, it's doing. It's, it's, it's more churning in the same waters. Right. Anything that is an expression of the assumption, albeit unconscious, anything that's an expression of the assumption of being fundamentally separate and, uh, and therefore being in a world of scarcity which justifies violence and force, anything that you do, anything that you think, anything that you rationalize, anything you justify, anything you interpret, anything you perceive because interpretation and perception are tied together at that level, is simply going to be an argument for the very unconscious assumption that is the source of your suffering in the first place. So what then is the way forward? The way forward is to see what I'm talking about without trying to get away from it. Can you explain? I don't know if I can explain it, but any attempt to get away from it is it. Any attempt to indulge it is it. Any attempt to um, to try to force your way out of it is it. It's the awareness that this is what has been happening without trying to escape it that is your doorway to freedom. People often wonder what's the point of these rather silly sounding Zen koans? What's the point of meditating, of just sitting there and doing nothing? People often wonder about, about these kinds of things. And, and, and really, to my mind, it's, it's precisely because of this um, near impossibility of, of coming up with, um, in, 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 in a human language, of coming up with a, of, of a clear statement of where it is and how to find it. Because anything you say can at best only point in that direction. So, Well, you said it right there, is the, the finger that's pointing at the moon is not the moon. And when you realize that there's no finger that is the moon, then you can have a powerful relationship with fingers. So, for myself, when I'm, when I'm endeavoring to inquire after these things, I find, I find a stillness of mind to be very useful. And, and having a truly still mind is, is something that takes a little practice to, to accomplish. For the simple reason that my mind seems to be full only of the things that I've already put in there. Uh, and, and I can't have truly new thoughts inside the same mind that's got the same old thoughts already in them. So I find a, a really still mind to be a beginning point. And then 
I find my connection to the oneness, it appears to me, to be through my heart. I, I, I approach it by remembering where love comes from. These are the things that, that I use to help me to point in that direction. What can you recommend for our listeners? Well, the problem with that is that most people have such uh, busy minds and are so attached to the thought stream that it's likely their reaction to what you just said is something like, well, that's great for Arn because he can still his mind and, th and, th and that can be a doorway to knowing his heart. But I've got, I've got 10 thoughts per second here, so I guess this just isn't for me, and I'm just going to go back to who I was being and what I was doing because this, you know, this sounds way, way out of my league. And so that's the real-world problem that I have with those kinds of paths because in terms of this collapse of the duality between the man of the world and the mystic, that kind of traditional teaching, 98% uh, of the people we come in contact with are going to be either unwilling or unable to do that. Fair enough. Valid point, yes. So we need approaches that are psychologically useful for where people are today in our culture today in 2016. And that's the reason that I'm not particularly a fan of that traditional approach. I think- Would you like to, would you like to tell us more about what, what you would like to recommend? Well, one of the things I recommend is um, the exercise I gave last time that is taught by Bentinho Massaro. I think to begin to disidentify from the thought stream and to have direct experiences over and over again, that when you let go of thinking and thought, that you still exist, consciousness still exists, awareness still exists, presence still exists, is probably the most valuable foundational realization that ends up being useful in and of itself, but also ends up empowering the journey in its totality. So I'll repeat that instruction. So rather than try to fight your thoughts, it is much more valuable to realize that you are not your thoughts. And so to be open to that possibility intellectually and then to have a simple practice that you can practice anytime, any place, is quickly is very useful. So I will repeat this instruction. So you decide that you want to do this, and then what you do is you take a slow, deep breath through your nose. You can do this right now if you want to. And then hold it for a second or two. 
And then as you exhale, you completely let go. You open your mouth, you open your throat, you don't try to control it. You completely let the air out. You let it just happen on its own. And then as you're letting the air out, you are intending and allowing, you're providing your willingness to let go of your attachment to thinking and thought. So let's try that together now. Let's take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second. And then as you let go, be willing to let go of your attachment to thinking and thoughts. And what you'll notice is that with or without thought, you still are here. You still are hearing the sound of my voice. You're aware of the sound of my voice. You're aware that you exist. You're aware that you are aware. And if you do that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, if you do that a dozen times a day for several weeks, uh, at a psychological and cellular level, it starts to become much more real for you that you have an existence that is much more vast than thinking or thought could possibly contain. Um, that is a, a fundamental skill that I think is much more accessible for people, many people. Um, another um, thing that I strongly recommend for people, because we talked about this feed, yeah, this is gonna be really valuable, Arne, is we talked a little bit about this feedback system this incredible universal feedback system between, shall we say, your higher self and yourself as a, as a person. And this feedback system, if you can begin to honor and pay attention to your vibration and how you feel, it's this incredible feedback system that tells you whether what you're doing and what you're focusing on as a human is in alignment with what you intended and are desiring at the level of your higher self. And so one thing you can do is you can take out a piece of paper, like a yellow pad, like a legal pad. That's very nice. And um, at the top of the page, you can write down things or aspects that resonate with my joy. That's a very specific wording. I didn't say bring me joy. I said resonate because it's really a resonance phenomena. And then just start making a list of everything in your reality that when you focus on that or you do that, you like the way that you feel. Anything. It could be a substance like when you eat something. It could be a location. It could be a subject matter. It could be an activity. It could be uh, a, a subject matter. It could be a, a physical location on planet Earth. It could be a certain book. It certain, could be a certain type of music or artwork or anything, anything, anything in your reality that when you focus on that or you do that, you like how you feel. It resonates with your joy. And start letting your conscious mind know that this is important to you. And there's an old expression, what you appreciate, 
appreciates in your reality. And so begin to appreciate these things and then the law of attraction will start to work in your favor and you will be letting your higher self know that as a person, you're taking much more seriously, shall we say, this idea that the law of attraction is very powerful and that focusing on that which resonates with your joy is, is really eminently practical as well as enjoyable. I would say another thing you can do is take out another piece of paper on the yellow pad and at the top of that page write down my natural gifts, talents, and strengths. Because very often the, the natural gifts we have come so easy to us that we take them for granted. And if you don't appreciate what you've been given, you're not going to use it and you're not going to enjoy it. So another list that can be very valuable because it's no accident, the gifts and talents and strengths that you have. So by focusing on that, one of the benefits is, is that it starts to tap you into uh, the perspective of your higher self because as your higher self, you chose these gifts and talents and strengths for this incarnation. So in my case, it would be what we talked about earlier. You know, I'm naturally a good teacher. I'm naturally a good healer. I'm naturally a good speaker and writer. And I'm naturally creative and a very synthetic type of a thinker. And um, so these would be things that I would put on my list. So you've been given gifts, talents, and strengths, not um, just to have them, but to enjoy them and to use them and to bless yourself and other people. And then uh, a third list that would be very useful to you to people would be to make a list of areas of life where your energy naturally goes. You know, like some kids, they just naturally, um, they like to fix things. They like to build things. They, they are interested in how things work. They're interested in taking cars apart and putting them back together. They're interested in building a better mousetrap. They're just, they're, their energy just naturally goes there. They're fascinated by those things. Then there are other people that are fascinated by... Um, the, the, their energy just naturally goes to caring for animals. And then there are other people where their energy just naturally goes to um, um, world hunger. They just have a natural interest in ending world hunger. So these things are no accident. The things that resonate with your joy, your gifts, talents, and strengths, or the areas of life, the fields of life where you have a natural interest, these are not random. These are precise from the point of view of your multidimensionality. And as you begin to focus on these and become interested in them and honor them and appreciate them, if you combine and enjoy focusing on that, if you combine that, combined with the first exercise that I gave you, that, those are incredible foundations for collapsing that apparent duality between the mystic and the man of the world. And then within that larger context, there are many, many skills, many, many skills and distinctions that can be very, very useful 
along the path. Um, we probably don't have time to go into those in great detail today, but I'm interested in your reaction to sort of this big picture set of recommendations. Well, I, I love it. I, I think it's um, very powerful, very useful information that you've just uh, shared with us all and, and very applicable, which is um, one of the things I like most about it. I, I, I like finding things that work and you've given specific things that people can do uh, in terms of, of, of identifying the direction they want to go in or need to go in, in order to be more and more their, their most authentic self. So thank you very much for sharing those. You're welcome. So, um, David, it, it, it feels to me like we need to bring this conversation to a close. What, what I'd like to hear from you is how can people engage with you more deeply? How, how would you like for that to happen? I mean, people can sign up for your, um, for, the, for this podcast if they haven't already for Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. Are there, are there other ways that you would um, like to make yourself available for interaction with people? Sure. You know, I work with people all over the world. Uh, we're using a wonderful technology to record this particular podcast called Zoom. You can access it at www.zoom.us. And there's a free version that will allow you to do pretty much whatever you would want to do with it, unless you are um, doing uh, conferences and things like that. But in terms of one-to-one -one communications, and I would encourage you to get an account at www.zoom.us, a free account. And I work with people all over the world. We can do uh, video conferencing. And uh, probably about uh, 70 to 80% of my work can be done long distance. Uh, if you are feeling moved by the spirit and the power of these last two conversations, and you feel that I could be of some help to you, we can work long distance that way. Um, if you are within... Uh, transportation distance of being able to come to San Jose, California. We can also work together physically. There's a whole area of expertise that I have that we haven't gotten into in these conversations so far that have to do with optimizing your physical and energetic bodies so that this process is uh, more streamlined and more enjoyable. Um, we can work together that way. Um, one of the things that I want to do more and more is I want to do work with people in a context that involves both individual work and group work, because I find that so many of our barriers and blockages and traumas occurred in the context of groups and relationships. And also, there's a tremendous potential synergy when you have an aligned group of uh, loving souls coming together. So uh, what I am moving in the direction more and more towards are having intensive programs that last for a period of anywhere between, say, three to six months, where, where I work with a group of people and there is not only the interaction between myself 
and the individuals, but there's also a very focused utilization of the group energy so that people have certain amount of time one-on-one with me, but then they also have a significant amount of time in very structured group contexts of teachings and exercises and processes. And also we can set up systems within the group of subgroups where people can be supported. And because we live our life this way, uh, both in individual and group contexts, and because of the potential synergy that's available in an aligned group, I'm wanting to work more and more in this way. And so a lot of this can be done virtually to the point where maybe we only need to meet two or three times during physically, and yet we can have a tremendous amount of interaction virtually. So this is something I'm moving more and more towards. So this is something that resonates with you kind of as a, um, a halfway kind of midwifing way of moving into intentional community and uh, ultimately li- uh, living communities that are uh, aligned and intentionally based. This is something I'm very interested in. Another thing I'm very interested in is the establishment of a prototype pilot project community wellness center that is focused not only on treatment, but also on education and community empowerment. If any of you uh, would like to help with that or uh, can uh, help me tap into funding for that, I'm willing to put in the sweat equity to be the uh, focalizer for that project as well. Um, And then, of course, I have the podcast. And uh, so my professional life right now is really a combination of my one-on-one work with patients and clients, um, group work of uh, workshops and seminars, and again, wanting to combine those. And... uh, that's kind of what I'm about. And then, of course, the podcast. And so, so where would you – sorry to interrupt, David. Where, where would you recommend people um, – how should they connect with you to be updated as these things come on stream? Well, one thing you can do is you can go to my doctor website, which is davidkamnitzer.com. That's David, K-A-M is in Mary, N is in Nancy, I-T-Z-E-R. And there's a contact form there. There, You can go to my podcast website at cuttingedgedoc.com. That's cuttingedgedoc.com. And there is a way to sign up for being kept, infor- being kept informed that way. You can also... Email me directly at my private email address, which is david.kamnitzer. That's David and then a period. Kamnitzer, K-A-M is in Mary, N is in Nancy, I-T is in Tom, Z is in Zebra, E-R, at gmail.com. That's david.kamnitzer at gmail.com. So those are different ways that people can communicate with me. I'm also very active on Facebook. You can find me there. Um, I'm redoing my professional pages. So the best way to connect with me is just to 
connect with my personal David Kamnitzer right now on Facebook, although that will be changing. So I'm very active on Facebook. You can send me a, um, a friend request and, uh, or a message and just let me know uh, how you heard about me. So those are some easy ways that people can reach me if they feel moved by uh, the potential and the power of what our relationship might, might bring to them. Brilliant. Okay. So to close out, a final thought, uh, uh, something that you would like to leave folks with. Well, I would say that these, these two conversations taken together, I believe they're going to be episode 53 and 54. Taken together, I think, can provide you with a really firm foundation for your journey to infinity, shall we say. And yet within that powerful context, as I hinted at a few minutes ago, there are so many skills and distinctions and practices that if they're focused on intentionally can accelerate the realization and the substantiation of everything that we're talking about. Uh, and so I don't want to leave the impression that this is it, but this is a very firm foundation. And the work that I do with people, once this foundation is established that we've been establishing together here, these, these last two interviews, this really allows for some really powerful, um, specific practices, both physical and metaphysical practices, that really can uh, really accelerate. And, and, and people are usually, because people have never created this foundation, it's difficult for people to imagine how rapid the expansion can be when you combine this type of ontological ground, this foundation, with cutting-edge distinctions and practices, it's, it's remarkable. And most people have no experiential frame of reference for what's possible. And yet, I'm telling you, it's possible. And the beautiful thing with it is uh, when you begin to experience it as being possible, uh, your your entire universe changes, but you have to actually engage the process of it and experience it. And and the reason so many people have been disappointed in the practices they've practiced in the past is that there was not this foundation that was established first, and so they get into this situation that you were talking about earlier, where we were talking about earlier where any attempt to get out of the trap is the trap. Whereas once this foundation of truth is established, now these practices can really fulfill their promise. David, it has been such a pleasure talking to you. It's been... Um 
uh, really fun. It's been really enlightening. Um, and I've really enjoyed the uh, specific and practical guidances that you've offered. It's, it, it has been a great pleasure talking to you. And um, I suppose it's time for me to return control of the show back to you. Thank you for allowing me to interview you. Well, Arn, I am so grateful that we have done these two shows because I can see many applications for sharing these two shows in a way that will make an enormous difference in both the quality of people's lives and the effectiveness and their effectiveness in life. And so, Arne, I'm so grateful to you. And ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to another edition of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. I'm your host, Dr. David, the Cutting Edge Doc. And today, we've had a guest host, Arne, and is it Allington? Allingham. Allingham. We've been having a guest host, Arne Allingham, who has been gracious enough to interview me. And I'm very happy with the results of these two shows, and um, on Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul, as I mentioned before, we do in-depth interviews with individuals that are doing cutting-edge work in the areas of healing, spirituality, and social transformation. And with that, we'll close with love and peace. Bye for now. Bye-bye, everyone. joining us for today's episode of freeing the body freeing the soul to access all episodes including show notes go to cuttingedgedoc.com that's cuttingedgedoc.com lastly if you love today's show you can support dr david his work and the show by going over to itunes and giving a five-star rating and a heartfelt comment Thank you again for joining us today and for your commitment to freeing the body, freeing the soul.